Did you know that kinky wellness is integral to your self-development? Hi, my name is Dana Shrigal. I'm a kinky wellness coach and owner of The Partition, home of kinky wellness. Each Monday, I bring on a guest to discuss why kinky sexual wellness deserves a seat in the wellness conversation. You can catch my solo shows on Wednesdays, but let's jump into it. Hey, and welcome back to another special episode on kinky wellness. Today, we welcome Joshua Shea. Joshua Shea is a pornography addiction expert, certified betrayal trauma coach, therapeutic disclosure specialist, and the author of four books about pornography, including I'm reading this book about porn addiction for a friend. Since 2018, Joshua has given more interviews about pornography addiction and betrayal trauma than anybody in the world. And today we're adding another interview to his list. Today, he is sharing his wealth of research and personal story to raise awareness and promote the ideas that porn addiction spans all demographics, and those with a problem should seek help before it's too late. So let's welcome Joshua to the show as we discuss porn addiction and the things you need to know. So let's just get right into it. So welcome to the show, Joshua Shea. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Dana. Thank you for having me. I'm actually very excited to have you on the show today because this is a very important topic that we're going to be discussing, which is all about porn addiction and why we really do need to focus on this because it is such, it's crazy. It's kind of come out of left field, but I want to start with just a little bit about you and your history and how you've come to be here in this space. Yep. I was a pornography addict for 24 years. I was hooked the moment that I saw it at 12 years old. Two years later, I was hooked the moment I got drunk the first time. So for the next 24 and 22 years, respectively, alcohol and porn, especially porn, were always there for me, no matter what my situation was. Um, Whether I was dating or single or married, whether I was in high school or college or into my career, it didn't matter because I was completely hooked on both of these things, especially the pornography. They were what I could count on. Um, I would lie, cheat, steal, do whatever I needed to do to get my fix of pornography, which I learned later was really just about getting the chemicals. It was about the dopamine, the oxytocin, the serotonin, the endorphins. Those were the things that I was after because it was one of these things where it wasn't necessarily about the sexy people. It wasn't about watching naked people do naked things. Uh, For so long, it just felt like maintenance. Um, And so... Finally, I uh, ended up losing my job that I had. Uh, I got fired. I owned one third of a company, but the other two thirds owners fired me um, because I was showing up to work drunk most days for a year or two. And finally, they got rid of me and had an intervention uh, from my family and friends. Uh, Not exactly like the TV show, but it was uh, it did the trick. So I went off to rehab actually twice, once for alcohol, once for uh, pornography. And that's when I went to for pornography. That's when I started to learn the statistics. I am a journalist by trait. That's what I did for 25 years. 
So I'm a big research geek. And when I went to look for studies and books and anything I could find about this, all I could find was academic stuff. There was nothing for the average person. So having a background in journalism, I decided to write books um, for the average guy to maybe understand this because I started to do the research. I started to learn the statistics. And it was scary because nobody's talking about this. And ever since high-speed internet, the world has been a very different place that we don't want to talk about because we're so Puritan. We're so mm -hmm. scared of sex. And meanwhile, we now have one in three men under 30 years old somehow addicted to pornography. So One in three? One in, under 30 years old, one in three men. Wow. And what were some of the other statistics that you found during this? Uh, well, I mean, I'm always doing studying. The most recent one, I mean, because so many of them are pre-pandemic, which I think any any pornography statistic that is uh, pre-pandemic, I tend to kind of shrug at. The most recent one I've seen, which I think explains this very well, is that 91.5% of men worldwide who use the internet look at pornography at least once a month. Wow. 60 point, this is not necessarily addiction, but 60.2% of women who look at the internet worldwide look at pornography at least once a month. Let me shut my door so our dog, dog doesn't bother me. No worries, no worries. I've got four dogs, so if I didn't do that, we would not hear each other. <laughs> That's so cute. So where was I? Yeah, uh, ultimately, I wrote one or two books. Wasn't uh, planning on too much, um, but it kind of blew up as nobody was talking about this in this space. Um, I started to learn about betrayal trauma, which is what happens to the partner, and uh, people started asking me to come on their podcast. People started asking me to speak. I was doing a lot of speaking at colleges and libraries. And then when the uh, pandemic hit, a friend of mine who is a therapist said, you sh really should get into coaching. You're so good at talking to crowds. Imagine what you could do one-on-one -on -one with somebody with, with everything you know. So the first six months of the pandemic, I got trained as a coach mm -hmm. uh, for pornography addiction, for betrayal trauma, and I was also trained as a uh, therapeutic disclosure specialist. And for the last two years, I've been coaching full-time and still writing too, but um, it's the best thing I've ever done in my life. Absolutely. So with the betrayal trauma coaching, what... So what were things that you have to deal with or what are some of the feelings and emotions that one experiences when they find out that their partner is a porn addiction or has a porn addiction? Yeah, it's generally three things. The first uh, is, oh my God, how did I do this? What did I do to him? How did I cause this? Am I, and this is almost always, I would say in my experience, 95% of the time, the woman is the one who is betrayed by the male. And 
usually she wonders, am I not good enough in bed? Am I not pretty enough? Am I not wild enough? What have I done wrong to cause this guy to need to watch pornography? Once it moves further and they move beyond the self-esteem issue, they start to recognize, gee, this guy, this guy lied to me mm. for many, many years about something that we discussed, something we said was off limits. And he went and he specifically did what we said he wouldn't do. That causes, oh my God, who is this guy? What else could he have lied about? Do I even know this person? How can I trust anything that's come out of his mouth the last five, 10 or whatever years? Um, do I know this man? Does he have another secret family? What, 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 how do I trust anything that he's said the last five or 10 years? And then um, the final piece is usually almost a uh, logic based thing where it's oh my god we've both got our name on a mortgage we've got two kids we've got uh you know car payments i said i would never end up in a situation like this i said i would never be somebody with somebody like this and now here i am kind of completely intertwined with a liar who may be a porn addict or maybe is just you know, recreational, but this is not where I ever pictured myself being. What the heck do I do now? Mm -hmm. And those are really the three areas that the partner has to uh, navigate once they find out that their partner has used uh, pornography behind their back and lied about it for many years and then subsequently started to feel the symptoms of betrayal trauma. Now with that, is it, so what would steps be for couples to try to reconciliate? Would it, obviously communication must be one, but is there topics that they should or follow or talk about at, at the beginning? Well, I, at the very beginning, I think that uh, both need to be going and getting help individually. Mm -hmm. um, usually what I find is that the betrayed person I won't say usually, I will say 100% of the time, the betrayed person is not as upset about the pornography as they are about the lying. That's the, and, and like I said, it's, it's not 95, it's not 98, it's 100% of the time, every single person I have dealt with has been more bothered by the lying. So what has to happen ultimately, in my opinion, is a therapeutic disclosure in which uh, it's a process um, where the betrayed gets to explain to the betrayer exactly. They read an impact letter about what, what they did. Um, then they are allowed to ask any question um, of any time during the relationship, any time even before the relationship. Um, so there's a big disclosure, a Q&A disclosure, and then the betrayer shares a apology letter, hopefully starting to understand the damage he did. And at the very end of this process, the betrayed gives a list of boundaries 
and the consequences for crossing any of these boundaries. Um, so to me, that's one of the first things that you need. And then you need to really start working on that communication. That's usually the number one thing that's wrong is that the communication has faltered. And somewhere along the way, this guy has developed, for whatever reason, a fear of you. It's almost always the, a fear of the be betrayed. And in his mind, he tries to handle his addiction in tandem with keeping you away because he thinks he's doing the right thing not telling you he doesn't want to hurt you and that's what a lot of a lot of people don't understand is that he doesn't want to hurt you he does love you he's just got the brain disease of addiction so some of his choices he's making in how he's protecting you don't make sense because more important than protecting you is protecting his ability to get at the addiction mm -hmm. that's the number one priority in life and I think that uh, he's got to get some professional help and he's got to show that he's trying to take care of this problem um, for, the, for the betrayed. I think he has to show he takes his issue seriously. And then I think it's a matter of he needs to be where he's going to be, where he says he's going to be, when he says he's going to be there. I think he needs to be totally transparent. I think... He, you know, you can have trackers on your phone, you can have weekly check-in sessions, you can, you know, ask to look at what's on their computer, there are different apps you can put on your phone to block pornography. I think whatever the betrayed needs, uh, they should be able to get. And uh, in the end, I don't think it's just a matter of trust. I think it's a matter of that they need to trust that they are the first person on the mind of the their partner. Mm -hmm. They are, when their partner thinks about somebody, it's them. It's not the pornography. It's not another woman. It's not the girl he saw walking down the street when, you know, they were in the car earlier today. She needs to know she's the number one priority and she needs to be convinced and sure of it. And uh, unfortunately, there is no simple roadmap to it. Yeah, but to your point, um, those real practical tips of downloading things onto your phone, thats these are real advice that people could take now. So if there was someone at home that was struggling with pornography and ways to tell their partner, is there is there advice you could give them on ways to tell this type of news to someone? Yeah, absolutely. I think that you have to, if you are an addict, I think that you need to, if you don't know much about addiction or your addiction, learn a little bit about it. You know, for instance, literally the last 10 years that I was an addict, it didn't matter what was on my screen. It was not about the naked people doing naked things. It was about getting my chemicals. And that was the only way I could do it. If gambling had proved to have been the way I could get those chemicals, I wouldn't be looking at naked people. I'd be in a casino. This wasn't because I was a perv or this wasn't because I'm of low moral character. 
I found something that helped me deal with my trauma when I was young. Mm -hmm. And it got way out of hand because it didn't actually deal with my trauma. And I recognized after I dealt with the trauma that I had, and this was from sexual abuse as a child, after I'd, I, I used pornography to get through that, I think what happened was that I realized pornography could make a bad day good and pornography could make a good day great. Mm -hmm. Just like, just like the role of alcohol played in my life. And uh, I think that if you can explain the idea of addiction, that will help soften the blow because it truly isn't about choosing the naked people in that case. In fact, when I coach people with betrayal trauma, I usually tell these women, well, you know, at least he has the disease of addiction. At least, you know, you know, this isn't you. This is brain damage. He's literally sick. Whereas for the women whose guys have just lied to them for 10 years and don't have an addiction and they are using it as a sexual surrogacy, that's tougher because that guy is not sick. He's just doesn't care what, about you. He doesn't care about your uh your needs in the marriage or the relationship. He doesn't care that you don't like this stuff. And the way I always put it is, you know, frankly, if you ask your partner to stop eating Snickers candy bars, they should stop eating Snickers candy bars and not really have that much of a question about it because you're their partner and that's important to you. And at that point, uh, if that's the case, usually there's a tougher road to go because that guy doesn't want to get any help. That guy is often defending his use of pornography and not caring about the fact of what happened to his partner. So it really depends on the situation, what's going on and exactly how I coach them. Yeah. Do you wish that more people understood that porn addiction is like other addictions? Absolutely. It's about chemicals. It's about getting high for the most part. Like I said, if yeah, when I was 12 years old and I got addicted, um, I think that I think I was addicted instantly. And I think that's because the photos that I saw on the pages of that magazine that my cousin showed me, which, you know, a hardcore porn magazine, I think that it instantly normalized the abuse that happened to me. Because for the first time, I saw pictures of it. I saw pictures of adults doing these things to each other. I saw pictures of things that were done to me, things that I was forced to do to other people. And everybody looked like they were smiling or at least having a good time. And I think in some way that seeing that normalized what happened to me. And because, you know... I hid it for so long, but here it is on the pages of a magazine. Exactly what happened to me. Well, heck, I got to see more of this. And I was hooked from that day forward. And this stuff helped me actually forget that uh, abuse that I went through. When I finally got help, it took me several weeks to remember what happened with that abuse and the trauma that I'd hid for so long because of it. Um, 
that was why I used pornography, because my older cousin introduced it to me at a time when it just clicked. Mm-hmm. Had he introduced cocaine to me and that clicked, hell, I would have been a cokehead at 12. Um, had he introduced gambling to me, had he introduced video games, it could have been something else. Because what I fell in love with was not the naked people on the screen. And I think sexuality is wonderful. Um, I truly am not anti-porn. I'm pro-healthy sexuality. And in doing the research for my four books, in going through the therapy sessions, in going through two rehabs, um, in just going through the experience as an addict, um, I just realized there was more that I could do for other people because there was nobody there for me when I was going through it. Mm-hmm. There was nobody who at 15 said, do you use a lot of porn? Because everybody, even today, are oh, no, I don't look at that stuff. Oh, no, I don't ever touch myself. Of course not. That's for deviance. That's what it was when I was young. So it was something that you absolutely hid and you kind of felt bad about. Because if you listen to other people, nobody else does this. Nobody else touches it. Um, So something's got to be wrong with you because you're into this stuff. And then, like I said, after a while, it you don't even really notice what it is anymore. I couldn't tell you two minutes after finishing, I couldn't tell you what I was looking at. Because it got to the place, especially in the last five, ten years of my addiction, where it was just about maintenance. It was just about trying to get through the day. Um, It didn't matter. Whatever got me off that day got me off. If it was something as simple as somebody posing on a beach, great. If it needed to be a four-way multicultural orgy, that's what it was. It, It didn't matter what I had on my screen as long as it got me off and I could get on with my day because I just needed those chemicals and I had no idea how to achieve them other than pornography and masturbation. Well, even, well, you mentioned that like such a young age and even now with so much access to Wi-Fi through cell phones and with kids getting cell phones at a younger age, what advice would you have for parents to try to tackle kids watching pornography today? I think that Parents, first and foremost, need to recognize that this is not the birds and the bees speech. You don't have to talk about how babies are made during this speech. You and I have been talking for nearly half an hour now about pornography, and we haven't got graphic once. You don't have to. And I think you can make it very age appropriate. A four-year-old can understand you don't ever let anybody look at what's under your swimsuit and you don't ever look under anybody else's swimsuit and you don't ever take a picture of anybody else on what's under their swimsuit and you don't let anybody take a picture of what's under your swimsuit and that can be the four-year-old lesson and then you move on for that year and then maybe five years old six years old they're going after school listen if you have a friend who has a phone or a tablet and you see some naked people on it, um, please let me know. Because those are pictures that are supposed to be for adults. That's not supposed to be for children. So just come let let mommy or daddy know that uh, you saw those because we have to try to protect you from them. And you can get a little more into what pornography is as they get older. 
And then I think it largely ends around 11, 12 years old. I think that we should be telling every 11 or 12 year old boy, since this is the age they start watching porn, uh, about porn induced erectile dysfunction. Because I don't believe that 11 or 12 year old boys who are looking at porn for the first time and are, oh my God, look at these body parts of these ladies and this is exciting. I don't believe that they want to become porn addicts. I don't believe they want to become masturbation addicts. I think these 12 and you know 12 year old boys, they want a girlfriend. They mm -hmm. want somebody's hand to hold. They want to be able to tell people on the playground that they're going out with somebody. That's that's all that they want. But at home, they've got hardcore pornography streaming at them nonstop. And since they don't have a girlfriend or since they're not able to be as potentially physical with their girlfriend as they might like, um, they use the pornography without realizing if you use too much of this, there can be some dire consequences, including porn-induced erectile dysfunction. And can you explain a little bit more of that? Is that something that's happening right now to kids that are a younger age or is this every or it's any happening, age? It's happening like crazy among our, our later teens and men in their early 20s. 25 years ago, when I was 20 years old, the frequency of ED among men my age when I was 20 was 2 to 4%. These days, the last statistics I saw of ED for men who are 20, it's 20 to 25%. Oh, wow. Now you tell me what's changed in 25 years. The only thing that I can point to is high-speed internet. That's been the entire difference maker, is that when I was a kid and I got a Playboy magazine, I had about, what, 50 photos in that entire magazine, and I had to wait till next month. If I got a videotape, yeah, it was a lot more explicit. Yeah, it was longer, but at the end of those 60 minutes, it's done. High-speed internet delivers more extreme content 24-7 at easier access than ever before. Mm -hmm. I saw a statistic recently that said if you watched everything that Pornhub has on it right now, and you started watching everything one time sequentially going back in time, you wouldn't end until around the Civil War. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So that one site has enough lifetimes of porn for you that you don't have to worry about anything else out there. And, uh, yeah, that's that's how much is out there. And let's be honest, you know, if a 10-year-old kid can spell man, sex, and woman, they can find that online. Mm -hmm. And an unending supply, but... Let's also be honest. If a eight-year-old can spell man, sex, and goat, he can probably find porn of a guy doing a goat. Mm -hmm. um, stuff that I couldn't even find when I was 11 or 12 years old because I only had magazines and videotapes. So we are, we are bombarding younger people with more sexually explicit material than ever. So what we need is more education than ever. And it's not about shaming and it's not about saying you're weird because especially around puberty, wanting to see depictions of sexuality is totally normal. 
That's totally expected and it's totally okay. It's just that we are not teaching that extended use of pornography has some massive potential drawbacks, like any addiction. Absolutely. But I have never seen an addiction that affects the partner as strongly as porn or intercourse addiction. And uh, I think that needs to get out there more as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I think in general, sex is so difficult to talk about. So even saying that you have an addiction to porn, do you feel that there are some people that say, oh, that's not really an addiction? Is oh, there... all the time. I have to deal with that all the time. And it is 95% of the time people who are looking for some excuse to continue to use and don't want to feel bad about it. The amount of urban legends that I hear about how porn is, or, or especially masturbation is actually super healthy for you. I'm not saying it's unhealthy. I'm just, I have never read a study and I've read hundreds of studies at this point that says either porn or masturbation at the end of the day is actually healthy for you. The mm -hmm. best you can hope is that it doesn't do anything bad for you. The best that you can hope is that it doesn't affect you, but it is not a activity that is going to increase your health. The healthiest thing it will do for you is nothing. And most people, um, it does nothing for them as far as affecting them negatively. But I think what we need out there and why I come on shows like this, why I write books is because we need the education out there. Mm-hmm. Nobody who starts smoking cigarettes doesn't know it's not bad for them. They do it anyway, and that's fine. That's taken on their own their own risk. But we in society, I think because of the puritanism, because of the fear of sex and, oh my goodness, naked people, I think that, you know, there's a, I don't want to say childish, but there's these deeply rooted conservative roots in, especially in America, where despite the fact that more than nine out of 10 men are watching in, in, in masturbating, despite the fact that more than six out of 10 women are, we still feel the need to lie about it. We still feel the need to pretend we're not because we still associate this with like perverts and incels and people of low moral character. And that's not who gets addiction, whether I was in treatment or I am treating people. I've treated men and women, and yes, women get this as well. Um, that's what a lot a lot of people don't realize that or, or believe that's possible. Men and women both get this. Doctors, lawyers, nurses, teachers. I have dealt with every color of person. I've dealt with every religion of person. Porn addiction doesn't know any bounds. It's like any other addiction. You do not have some special demographic makeup that makes you immune from porn addiction. Anybody can be a porn addict, but a lot of people don't want to even think of the idea. Are and there... I think that's because okay. then they have to admit they do this stuff and then they have to admit something's wrong with it. Well, I was gonna ask, is there telltale, like some signs or common characteristics of someone who might have a porn addiction who's still in denial? Absolutely. Um, there is, uh, you know, number one, are you asking yourself if you actually have an addiction? That's a sign because 
I'm going to guess you've never asked yourself if you have vacuuming addiction, but you've vacuumed hundreds of times in your life. I'm going to guess you don't have a washing the dishes addiction, despite the fact you, you've done it hundreds of times in your life. If you are questioning if you have an addiction, I think where there's smoke, there's fire. Something's going on there. Um, if you plan your day around the use of pornography or it's in your head all day long, that's a big sign. Uh, if you are skipping doing things with friends or doing activities that were once pleasurable to stay home and use porn, that's a big sign. When you're actually using the porn, do you lose track of time? You think that you just finished a 30-minute session of watching porn and self-pleasure, and oh my God, it's been an hour and a half. That's a common sign among porn addicts. Uh, among porn addicts, when they're watching pornography, looking for that perfect piece of pornography to finish with mm. is a telltale sign of being an addict. They're looking for the thing that's going to give them the most dopamine. And then little things like the escalation of the content. After a while, tame vanilla stuff isn't going to do it for you. Just like an alcoholic has to increase the amount of alcohol they take in to feel the same high, just like a gambling addict has to increase their bets to get the same high that they once did betting $20, now they have to bet 100 In pornography, the content does tend to escalate into a more extreme, hardcore type stuff. So if you notice your porn is starting to get you know, nastier and more hardcore. That's a big sign of addiction. And ultimately, there are about 11 signs of porn addiction, of which if you have three or four, there's an issue there. But it's important to spread the news that you're not a bad person. This isn't because, you know, you were, you were raised wrong. This isn't because you're morally deficient. This is not because you're a bad person. This is because you're an ill person just like any other addiction. This is really just like any other addiction. The chemistry of what happens in the brain is basically the same. Obviously, yes, with drug abuse or alcohol abuse, you do have side effects because of the substance that's coming into the body, you know, is, is foreign and a poison, but video game addict, sex addict, food addict, same thing's happening in their head when they get their piece. If I if it had been food for me, I might be sitting here 300 pounds heavier now telling you that I was trying to get through this. I didn't pick this because I really like naked ladies more than everybody, every other 12-year-old. This was what got to my uh, trauma. This was what made my trauma manageable for so long. Mm -hmm. Would you argue that porn addiction is, is easier than any other type of addiction just because of the access to Wi-Fi that we have? I think it's easier than ever before, um, absolutely. But, I mean, how many guys play video games? You know, kids are still smoking, still drinking. Um, there's lots of stuff I didn't do. I can tell you with alcohol and porn, it was almost the exact same for me. Despite the fact that they, 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 they served slightly different gods in the end, it was largely the same. So I, I would, and I was a bit of a workaholic as well um, for many years. And I think it's, it's whatever you find that just allows you to keep going, mm -hmm. allows you to cope, allows you to breathe, allows you to keep going.
and and feel like you're okay. That's what you're gonna get. That's 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 one of eight. Um, wow! And, Just so yeah. everyone knows, there's a cat that's in the frame now. So I absolutely love it. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 uh, that's cat number two. But we do have eight. No, I mean, so many people. To get back to your original question, still want to believe that it's not real for whatever reason. And the truth is, and this is why I keep going out and doing this stuff, this is just like any other addiction. I don't, I, I, I would guess that meth and fentanyl are worse because they can kill you a lot faster. But again, I don't, I can't think of a addiction where the partner gets hurt as quickly and as bad. You know, heroin addicts, girlfriends don't ask themselves if it's because they're not pretty enough. You know, a video game addict's wife doesn't say, is this because I wasn't good enough in bed? I think that if you are the partner of a porn addict or, or a intercourse addict, that this is absolutely a unique world. There is nothing like it. But as far as other addictions, thankfully, I haven't been addicted to a lot. So I can't tell you personally exactly if it ranks the same or if one is better than another. Oh, I, I just meant access. Sorry. Yeah, no, no. And, and, and that's the thing is I think that uh, it was whatever I was going to, whatever the next thing I accessed when I was going through this time, mm. had it been a weekend of video games with my cousin, maybe I would have become a video game addict. You know, who who knows? This is just what happened. Well, I want to thank you for coming on the show and thank you for sharing your story. I greatly, greatly appreciate it and appreciate your time. Is there anything else that you'd like to share? That enjoying sex, having sex with your partner and needing pornography, needing that fix are two different things. I can tell you that, yes, one of the symptoms of pornography addiction, when you are in the critical phase at the end, towards the end, yes, you lose a lot of your libido. But for 20 years, I didn't. For the 11 years I was with my wife that I was hiding the fact that I was a porn addict, we still had regular sex. And it was still good because it serves a different master. I liked being able to lay naked with my wife. I liked having that kind of orgasm with my wife. I liked being able to kiss her. I liked being able to feel a real person and feel love and feel emotional intimacy. We make this big mistake that porn and sex or porn and intercourse or making love are the same thing because they both end in orgasm. Just because they both end in orgasm does not mean they are the same thing. Wow. Wonderful. Thank you. Where can my listeners follow or find you? You can find me at my website, which is the letter P and then the words addict recovery. So it's paddictrecovery.com. And then I am also on both TikTok and Instagram as that corn coach. And yes, that's corn like the vegetable. If you are online and social media and you see the word corn, it might just mean the word porn because <laughs> we're not allowed to use the word porn in social media. So the world has decided we're going to use corn. 
Yeah, uh, censorship is real. <laughs> absolutely. So that corn coach on Instagram or TikTok. Well, wonderful. And thank you so much again for being on the show. And for our listeners, as always, I'll see you next week and stay kinky. Bye.